as you come in or as you came back in, if you did not get a piece of paper that says x-ray questions, just raise your hand and there will be gentlemen that will haul them over to you. Okay, now you may be looking at this piece of paper going, there are 16 things on here. How is he going to get through all 16? That is not even remotely my goal. Um, wanted to just walk through. I know that Pastor has been talking through some things during the Discovering God Hour. And I'm introducing this really a, an abbreviated, adapted, ar- abbreviated version of the journal article by uh, David Paulison. Let me tell you a little bit who David Paulison is. How many of you know who David Paulison is? Okay, a handful of you know who he is. He, as well as a number of other guys, are a part of what's called the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation uh, near Philadelphia. He and some of these uh, gentlemen are teachers at Westminster Seminary. But gentlemen like him, uh, Ed Welch, who has written books, these guys have books that are in our resource center. They are the men writing books concerning Christian counseling that has been extremely helpful, extremely biblical over the last, I'd say, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Uh, David Paulison, if you ever read any of his books, sometimes it's the deep end of the pool. It's not the wading end of the pool. So when you get into some of his books, he's going to make you think in some of his journal articles. But the one thing I like about David Paulison Uh, that I have always liked about John Piper. I like a a writer that makes me think, but also connects it to life. You can have some people that write, and they make you think deep in the deep end, but then you walk away going, all right, what do I do with that? All right? Uh, David Pallison is not like that. Well, most of his books he's not, uh, but he can really make you think and then help connect it to life. So what you have in front of you, it says X-ray questions, as I said, if you look at the top part, it tells the, the full article. Well, the full article name is really X-ray questions drawing out the whys and wherefores of human behavior. Now you say, well, how do I get this article? If you look at the bottom of the handout, I said if you want the full journal article, it's only eight pages long, but there's more to think through. You can send me an email. I put that at the bottom of this paper. What he has done in this article, and what I think is incredibly helpful for us on a personal level, is he wants to help us think through what is it that really controls our life on any given day. And one of the phrases, one of the words he uses, what we call functional gods. Something other than God that's really controlling my choices, my thinking, whatever. So what I wanted to do, my goal today is not to go through this whole thing. My goal today is to introduce it to you and encourage you to take it this week to use it. And I'll explain at the end how and why. So the goal with this as we start this morning is to help you and me unveil what he has called functional gods. And what he means by functional gods is something or someone that has become more important to me in coping, dealing, functioning in life than God to get through life. In other words, God is God, but this is the God that I go to to help me function and make it through life. And, and that's where we want to look at what are those things, because we all have them. Now, let me just ask you, this is a little more opportunity for interaction, even though you're like, we don't like to interact because we're way out here and you're up there. But when we talk about addictions, if I say addictions, it's like, what do you first think of when you think of addictions? What words, what things came into your mind? Drugs. What else? Alcohol. What else? What's that? Sugar. (laughs) All right. 
The ones that I just heard muffling out there were the same ones. Immediately when we think of the word addictions, the way our mind goes automatically is drugs, smoking, drinking. All right? Those are the things. Now, let me throw one on the table that's going to make at least perhaps a gender in this room not happy with me. Let's throw chocolate addiction on the table. And you figure out which gender that one's all about. All right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. All right? Here's where if, if you were, if you just went home today and Googled chocolate addiction, no kidding, you would find YouTube videos on how to overcome it. You'd find people offering to provide hypnosis to help you overcome chocolate addiction. Um, you might even find people saying things like, give me the chocolate and nobody gets hurt. But here's the, here's the best one. Here is the best one by far. All right, You got the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, Here is the chocolate one. The 12 step chocoholics program. Listen carefully. This is what they say. Never be more than 12 steps away from chocolate. I think that's not going to help. All right. Now, here's the reality. We have a book, I believe it's back there, I meant to grab it to bring it in by Ed Welch. It's called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. Very, very well written. And he would draw out what I'm saying right here, right now. And that is, we think in terms of addictions are drug smoking, drinking, not doing those, I'm good. All right. Now we threw a few others on the table, chocolate, coffee, sugar, whatever it may be. But here is the point. The point is... Every one of us has a propensity. We have this inclination to have something or some things that we can tend to go to more than God to help cope with life, be satisfied with life, whatever it may be. And, 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 and if we're honest in this moment, right now, right here, you can stop and think, I know what that is. All right, let me add a few more on the table. It can be watching hours of TV. That could be our drug of choice. It can be watching sports. That can be our drug of choice. It can be shopping. And you got Shopaholics Anonymous. It can be all kinds of things. It can be as simple as, believe it or not, sometimes even ministry can be what drives people and so that they get so wrapped up in it because it helps them get away from maybe family or other things, believe it or not. So when we're talking about this, what Ed Welch says that hits it very, very well, and that is this. He says that addictions are what he calls a worship disorder. Addictions are a worship disorder, which essentially what he is saying is anytime we want to find something or we find something that is there to help us cope with life, escape from life, deal with life, function in life, whenever those things are there, that has become a replacement for God. That's become my functional God to get through life. And, and, and we may, here's where we automatically think. We think in terms of really bad, illicit things, all right? Let me just give you a for instance from life in China, all right? Again, life in China, adjusting to life, stresses, and I can tell this story. My wife's not here today. If you tell her, she would tell this story, so I won't be in trouble for this, I don't think. She's sick today. I remember one day, it was like a really bad day in Chinese language class for her. And uh, you have a lot of those days. There's days when you're studying Chinese, you want to throw the book across the room, you want to cry, you want to do whatever, you know. 
And, and so it was one of those days for her, just like I had plenty of those days where it's like, this is ridiculous. Why did I do this in my mid-40s? What was I thinking? All right. But I remember one day, she just had had enough. It was a rough day with it. And she went after class, and she went to the shopping center downtown, which wasn't far, went into McDonald's, bought the Big Mac, believe it, you know, Big Mac, large fries, large drink, dessert, and just sat in the corner and had my food and put my music on and forget everything, you know. That was what we called in China, oftentimes people coming to a, a new culture, what you call comfort food, all right? And you're like, well, we do that in America. Yeah, we do. Um, it's those things that make us feel good. And even all these scientific studies can say that, yes, we sometimes naturally gravitate to those things because they give us a buzz or they make us feel better for a time. And then there's that sugar drop or whatever it is. My point in saying that is this, is not to pick on people who like chocolate or sugar or whatever. My point in saying this is where David Pollison has written a really helpful article is driving home that on any given day, you and me and every other believer struggle with having other functional gods that help us get through life. And sometimes we have multiple of those. And we don't view them as so bad because we're not running to drinking or drugs or whatever. We're just, and you can fill in the blank, I'm just doing this. And so that's where we're wrestling through. Now let's start with a couple of scriptures. Let's go to Psalm 37. And I just want to kind of lay this foundation where Ed Welch has said that addictions are a worship disorder. Go to Psalm 37. It's a verse that you know very well. Probably all three of these verses that I'm going to just mention, you either know very well or maybe you've got them memorized already. Psalm 37, verse 4. This is David at the end of his life saying this, giving us great advice. He says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you've often heard it perhaps translated, Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's how sometimes we've messed with that one. It's kind of like, All right, God, I'm doing the delighting thing, so you start giving me the desires of my heart. It's not a bargain with God. Really, quite frankly, that verse, if we understand it correctly, is if you and I are really delighting in God, he's going to change our desires, and suddenly all these desires start coming true, not because God's finally got the deal worked out. It's because we're finally thinking the way God thinks, and we see those things happening. But my point is, you and I can often resonate with this verse and say, yeah, I want to delight in the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 42. Again, another one like that. Psalm 42, verse 1. This is David in the desert. David uh, crying out, quite frankly, in a hard time in his life. But look at verses 1 and 2. And again, we know these verses well. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And again, we would take verses like that, Psalm 37, 4, and then go one more, one that I already included in the message earlier, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Go over a few more chapters, Psalm 73 and verse 25. Psalm 73, verse 25 is a powerful statement, but yet it's a convicting statement. Psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. So here's where we are. We're saying 
that I want to delight in God. Like David, my heart longs for, seeks for God. And even here it says, there's nothing on earth that I want more than you, God. But, and that's a big conjunction in that sentence. That's not how we function. Um, that's the struggle for us. Uh, is it wrong to want comfort? Is it wrong to want peace? Is it wrong to be satisfied? No, God's geared us that way. The question is, how do we seek that? How do we find that? How do we get that? That's what we're wrestling with. So here's the, here's the questions that uh, David Paulison starts with. There's a little text box there at the top. Why did I do that? Why do I react this way? So here's where we want to just walk through this briefly, introduce this, and then we go home. We're done, all right? And you're like, not yet, but soon, all right? Why did I do that? Here's the questions in the box. Why do I react this way? Why did I use those words and tone of voice? Why do I feel this way? Why do I fixate on those special de- specific details? Why did I make the choice in this situation? A lot of times when we do things, we don't ask those why questions. We just do it. We have a a reflex reaction to a situation. We do it. We respond. We speak. We act. We do whatever. But if we do ask those why questions, it's getting to the heart of motive behind those actions. We don't like to do that. I'm convinced. I mean, we'll find out when we get to heaven whether this is true or not. I'm convinced that Satan is behind all technology. And, okay, so some people said yes. The rest were like, what? What did he just say? Something about Satan and technology. Okay, here's the point. Technology helps keep us moving faster and engaged with many things. If I'm moving faster and faster in life and engaged with many different things, what am I not doing? I'm probably not engaging much with God. I'm probably not slowing down to ask the why questions. I'm just going through life. Now, again, I'm joking. You know, I'm not picking on the guys back there. These guys are great guys, technology. They got to deal with the devil and the details, but it's what it is. All right. But here's where you and I have to wrestle with, and that is we don't slow down enough to ask the why questions or say to God like David did in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Show me what's going on. Because what David says, God, you know, I'm too blind to see it, but I need to see it so I can respond to it. That's what these questions are all about. Now, in the journal article, if you get the whole thing, David has 35 questions. I've only chosen 16 and put them here on the one page. But the whole point is to answer not just the why questions, because that gets to the heart of it. It answers the what question, because the what is going to get more detailed in our lives. What does this look like? And I'll give an explanation of that in a moment. When we ask the why questions, underneath there I gave three realities. Here's where we live in a culture since I've been alive, the last 50 plus years, especially the last 40 years, where men have tried to find out why do people do the things that they do. And there's all kinds of theories from... It's your parents' fault, it's your genetic fault, it's your chemical makeup. The theories go on and on. There's all these different natures, human nature theories. It's your gene pool, whatever it may be. And in and, and, and some respects, you know, we've got to wrestle through all the science and quasi-science. At the end of the day, here's what we do know as a Christian. We do what we do because we're a sinner. Now, some of you say, well, then you just simplified it all like we have all these problems because we're sinners. Well, that's true. Every problem in human life, 
every problem has its roots and its foundation in sin. Now, can there be more to the story than that? Yeah, absolutely. There can be medical issues. There can be all kinds of things going on. But at the heart of it, the reason we have the messes we have is because of sin. Now, as we're wrestling through that, it can be people thinking family history. So it's like, let's look back and see what the family did. But what happens when we go with that route? When we go with all those different theories, essentially what happens often is now, oh, that's why I am the way I am. What does that do? I'm off the hook now, baby. It's not because of me. It's because of this. It's because of that. And I, it's not me. You know, I'm just a victim of circumstances. But the reality is, Scripture is clear. Yes, there can be things, there can be a whole host of things that come into our life. From our family, from our physical makeup, to a lot of different things. David Brainerd that I mentioned this morning was a godly young man, was a man that died at 29 years of age, was used by God to motivate people to go to the mission field. But if you ever read his journal that Jonathan Edwards produced, and there was even things that I think Jonathan Edwards left out some portions, but some of the journal entries are incredibly morbid because he struggled with depression horribly. Now, he struggled with it because he also had some physical stuff going on, but you read some of the stuff and it's like, how in the world did God even use this guy because some of his journal entries are just morbid you know, and depressing sort of thing. Well, there's a combination of things we're wrestling through. But when we ask the why questions and we conclude these different answers out there, the danger can be we come away going, oh, that's why I am the way I am. That's why I do what I do. And only, again, you know, Gary Brock picked on me for saying about the old people in the room, only us old people in the room will remember Flip Wilson going, the devil made you do it, all right? Yeah, and all the old people in the rest of you are like, Flip what? Okay, but here's the reality. Satan never makes us do a thing. But he's a master at knowing where to jerk our cord because he's been doing it since the beginning of creation. He knows. He's a master at knowing how to do that. Where we want to wrestle through is with these x-ray questions is, here's in that paragraph underneath the text box. Look at the last three sentences. It says, These questions reveal functional gods that control our actions, thoughts, motives, emotions, attitudes, memories, reactions, and anticipation. And these functional gods stand in opposition to the real God we claim to follow. So you and I, we say we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to follow God. But life gets out of control. Life gets difficult. And the question is, what do we run to? What do we seek for when we're in the midst of that? And, and sometimes we automatically think of somebody who's a worrier. Okay, those worriers out there, they do this stuff. We all do it. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it's the people that are not worrying, but people that are driven by ambition that are running to things to find that satisfaction outside of God or success, whatever it may be. Because we think it's the down-and-out people we're talking about here. It's not. It's all of us are trying to find a way to get through life, to make it through life, that provides the satisfaction that only God was intended to provide. So how do we do that? All right? <clears throat> First of all, let me just say this. As a Christian... And I think we can all agree with this. As a Christian, we would profess that God controls everything. Right? Just making sure you're still with me. 
God controls everything. And we would all say, absolutely. We would say that God does everything for our good and for his glory, right? Just still making sure you're with me. He is our rock, our refuge, our help. And he's the focus of our worship. And we would say, amen, yes, amen, yes. But come Monday, when things don't go the way we want, come Monday, when situations come that we weren't expecting, stop and ask, what did I just run to or what did I want? I mean, here's, here's, one, of my, here's one of my favorite... Uh, I just got to confess a couple things. Here's one of my favorite junky places, Subway. You're like, okay, okay, that's not so bad. Subway, throw back a six-inch. I'm not even throwing down a foot long, all right? But that became one of my places when I was in China when Subway showed up. I was like, that's one of my feel-good places. So I associate that. It's like, okay, I just want to have a disconnect time. I'm going to Subway, and now I get more fixings here the Subway because I didn't have nearly those over in China, all right? But it's that silly little illustration to say that in life there are so many things that we are unconsciously responding to and going to to find that satisfaction rather than God. In a moment, in a day, in an hour, in a season of life, suddenly we may say God controls everything. He's doing it for our good and his glory. But suddenly we jump into the driver's seat saying, I've got to control the outcome. I need to feel better. I need comfort. I need help. I need to be satisfied. And so I go to or I run after something that I think will do that. As we look at these 35 questions, I've chose 16 for you to consider. Here's what I ask you to do, and this is not like right now. Uh, We're going to walk through one or two of them depending on how much time we have. But I've given you 16 with the idea of homework, which is like a bad word, all right, a really bad word. And it's almost like, you know, you do know we're old enough that we don't do homework except for the young ones that are younger ones here that are still in college going, that is a really bad word. I was hoping for a snow day tomorrow. What we don't do well in our society, going back to the technology statement of earlier, we get so busy in life, we don't think through life, we don't process life, we just do life. And we don't ask the questions and we need to be asking. That's why we show up on Sunday and when we come back the next Sunday, nothing's really changed other than we're more tired than we were the last Sunday perhaps or more things went on. But during the week, what what brings life to worship on Sunday, what brings life to the Spirit of God at work in my life is how am I processing life each day as I'm going through whatever it is, good or bad? How am I handling those things? So here in these 16 questions, David Pollison gives what questions. Not just why. Why gets to the heart, but what is digging out a little bit more because it's pulling out the concrete details of our life. So let me just go through a couple of them to try to illustrate this for you and me as we go into our week this week. Look down, if you would, at number 10. Number 10. Number 10 asks the question, where do you find refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, security? Now, again, it's one of those mind association with words. If we put the word pleasure there, we might think of something illicit, something bad, something going to bad. But if we use the word comfort, comfort sounds a little more not bad. Uh, Pleasure can sound like a bad one because you can think of a lot of uh, illegitimate things that are pleasure-oriented. All right? But here's the question it's asking you and me. 
You've got those references there. He doesn't give verses. He gives chapters. Psalm 23, Psalm 27, Psalm 31, Psalm 46. He is giving us four psalms. I'm just going to give you one verse from each psalm without us taking time to look there. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. You finish it for me. Okay. I shall not want. You got it. We got it memorized. We got it down. Do we live that way? Okay, thank you for the honesty. That's, we don't. Here is Psalm 27, verse 1. Same thing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do we find ourselves afraid? Absolutely. And when I think of fear, like the fear of man, it's not like personality where people are shy. The fear of man is much deeper than that. The fear of man is I allow man to control how I respond to situations rather than fear of God, my response to God. Third one, Psalm 31, maybe not as well known, but here's a statement in the middle of Psalm 31. The psalmist in the midst of his struggle says this, But I trust in you, O Lord, I say, you are my God. That's his confident assertion. Finally, Psalm 46, perhaps this is the most well-known of these four besides Psalm 23. Psalmist says in verse, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then the psalmist ends by saying, Be still and know that I am God. All right? So here are four statements from Scripture that are incredibly alluring, enticing, encouraging to us that God says, I will be that shepherd. I will be that rock. I will be that refuge. I am your God. I'm there for you. But the question says, where do we find those things? And the obvious implication is, apart from God. Where do we find those things disconnected from God? So the drug of choice question is, what is it that you and I stop and think, might pursue, that is going to help me in trouble or help me in struggle? When we think of drugs and alcohol, let me just give you that for instance. Why, why do people drink? Let's put it that way. Here's where I'm like looking for input. Why do people drink or do drugs? Why? To escape. What else? Social interaction. Make it easier to associate with people and connect with people. Another one? To relax. Okay. We we can go through all those. Here's the reality. We can say that drugs, alcohol are to help us to feel better, to forget, to numb our life, to escape reality. And, and we would say, yeah, that's what those, here's what we say, that's what those people do. But the question that this is trying to get at is, so you've got hours of TV shows you watch every night. Why? Hours of sports. Why? So, I mean, i got to pick on all of us because I love sports. I love Red Wings. You know, I go watch it, all that stuff. Why? Now, is it like, let's go back to the 70s, let's all burn our TVs, let's burn our DVR, let's get rid of it all, let's just throw it out the window, and let's just sit in the room with a book and a light, and that's it. All right, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, we have to think much more to that, and that is stop and think as you've gone through this past week, or, and the point of these questions is getting us to ask, when it comes to pleasure or comfort, is there something that I have found that I have habitually gone to and continue to go to, that if I stop and think, 
that has become somewhat of a replacement for God. That's become my functional God. That has become something that makes me feel better, makes me feel at ease, makes me feel settled, makes me feel secure, makes me just chill. And, and we were talking about this in our, communi- our, our community institute Wednesday night. You know, we used to talk about free time, free time in society. You know, it's like we have free time. Now what do we call free time? It rhymes with free. We call it me time. You know, and that is we've, we've become a culture that says, I must have me time. You know, well, we just saw in the message this morning, Jesus wasn't about me time. He was just about just the opposite. Now, that doesn't mean then walk out of here saying he's saying you should never take a break. You know, you should never rest. You should never have time to disconnect. Not at all. We need that. Jesus knew that because he did that with his disciples. He specifically, more than once in the gospel, said, we need to come apart. We need to rest because we need to do that. We are human beings. But the question is whether that becomes our habit of life to disconnect, to pull away, to step away from those things. The opposite isn't saying, I stopped watching TV for four hours, now I must read the Bible for four hours. That's not where I'm going with this. The whole point is, when we make choices, are we realizing how much so many other things in life are functioning as our source of, as this question is pulling out, our source of refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, security. That's why God is called our refuge. He is to be our place of escape. But we're running around escaping in so many other ways. That's why I picked the word comfort out of that list. Um, All of us at times need a little comfort. There's nothing wrong with wanting comfort. The problem is, for me, is if comfort becomes what drives my weekly pursuits. And that is, I want to get away from these things, so I disconnect, I pull away, because I just want to feel good. Is it wrong to feel good? Is it wrong to feel comforted, settled? No, it, is, it becomes wrong when I let that become so important that I'm pulling away from what Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. If I find, and that's one of the best ways to see it right here, right now, number 10, is if I find that my pursuit of these comforts Escapes, pleasure, security have pulled me away from God and others. Put that under the, that's one of your functional gods. That's one of the things that are pulling our crank. Because that's where we're trying to assess what is it that has become more important to me than God to function or simply be satisfied in life. All right? Let's go on to number 12. Number 12. Maybe you aren't that person in number 10. Maybe more this is you in number 12. Listen to the questions that he asks. Who must you please? Whose opinion of you counts? From whom do you desire approval and fear rejection? Whose value system do you measure yourself against? In whose eyes are you living? Whose love and approval do you need? It's what some people have said. It's the approval junkie. All right? Uh, They're not a drug junkie, but they're approval junkie. And that is, they do these things, and I shouldn't say they, we do these things in an attempt to be people going at a boy. Now, I I can do this as simply as, and I am not saying this bad about my mom. My mom's not here. She's at church up in inner city in Allen Park. But you know how a mother 
can sometimes say after a meal, oh, that wasn't as good as I hoped that I made it. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to be. But what happens sometimes when somebody says that about a meal? What are they fishing for? Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, that was really good. You know, that was better than better. You know, that was better than the last one, you know. Well, we do that. You know, I'm not just picking on my mom. We all do that. And that is recognizing that sometimes what is driving us is we are driven to accomplish something. That's why I said here's the success-driven ambition. We're driven to accomplish because whether we admit it or not, we like the kudos. Whether we admit it or not, we like the sense of people coming to us for whatever we can do for them. Maybe we can't really do it, but they come to us. So suddenly, we're important to them, and we like to feel important. We like to feel like I'm somebody. Now, again, I'm seeing, <laughs> and I see heads go up and down, so I don't know if you're thinking that about yourself or the person next to you. I have no idea. Like, I haven't seen any elbows. haven't seen elbows yet. There's always those out there. Um, unless you're sitting alone, then you're on your own on that one. But this is the person who really honestly has a struggle with saying no, saying no to stuff. You know, I, how many times have we been good at saying yes, 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 and suddenly we are, we're overcommitted, we can't do all these things? Why? Because the issue isn't simply that we wanted to help people. The issue in part is tied to this makes me feel secure, makes me feel satisfied. This makes me feel important. And here's really, here's really the heart of part of that problem for us. Scripturally speaking, for you and me, if I can put it this way, what is our identity? For you and me, if we are a Christian, what is our identity? Or, let me put it this way, who is our identity? Christ. Okay? Here's what Paul said that drives home exactly how we need to think. In Philippians chapter 2, he's talking about you and me, and he's talking about how we live. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. It's Christ living in me. And that is, there's a point when you and I trusted Christ. That meant at that point, Hal died, and now Christ is being developed in me. But Hal is still stubbornly hanging on to a lot of Hal while Christ is developing in me. I died in Christ and putting my faith in him, but Christ is at work to change that. And so for you and me, our identity is Jesus Christ, and we would all say that, but here's what happens with number 12, and that is my identity becomes my job. My identity becomes what I can accomplish. My identity becomes my ministry. My identity becomes my role in the church. Maybe I take on five roles because I am that person who does all these things in the church. That's my identity. But the challenge is that we have to wrestle through is our identity is Christ. What if, and this is one of my horror stories that I've thought through for years. Some of you remember when Christopher Reeve, who played Superman, fell off his horse and was a quadriplegic for the rest of his life until he passed away. That has always stuck in my mind. I'm a believer. I, I, as far as I know, uh, Christopher Reeve didn't trust Christ. I don't know that for sure. But I remember many times thinking, what if that happened to me? What if I was in that position and I could do nothing but just sit there? And I had to lean on everybody else. I could do nothing. He survived with a wife who encouraged the daylights out of him, it sounds like, from what I understood. But what if that happened to you and me? 
where what I do, how I accomplish it, what I get done, what I don't get done, all this is about me. What if that was all taken away by falling off a horse and you can do nothing? And the only thing that's left is my identity in Christ. How would I handle that? And I admit, thinking through that, I was like, wow, I don't know if I'd handle that very well. That'd be a really, really, really hard thing. And yet, that's, we're not getting bucked off the horse, and that's not happened to us. But on a daily basis, this is what's happening. God is at work in your life and my life in little ways, lesser ways than that, lesser dramatic ways than that, to help us realize when we respond certain ways that our identity is something other than Christ, that our comfort, our security, our refuge is something other than Christ. And the question is, what is that? What is it that's happening? What is it that's pulling my cord? What is it that's so important to me more so than God? So here's, here's what I throw out to you as we wrap it up this morning. Yes, we're down the last few minutes. All right? Here's the homework, and here's the challenge. You know, it's like Mission Impossible, should you choose? I'm encouraging you to choose, all right? Nothing's going to blow up. No smoke's going to come. I'm just encouraging you to consider this. All right, there's 16 questions here. Here's the homework. When we walk out of here, it's almost like at 12 o'clock, we turn it off. We turn our church mind off until we show back up on Wednesday or until we sit down with our Bible at home or until we come back next Sunday. And the danger for you and me is when we do that, we've let the busyness of life, technology of life, whatever it may be, get us so busy so that we have no time to ask the tough questions and see, is God really what he says he is? So here's what I encourage you to do. There are 16 questions on here. I encourage you to do this. And if you walk out of here and you forget, and you're like, man, I forget what in the world he said because I was phasing out the last five minutes. All right, email me. I'll tell you again, all right? But here's what I encourage you to do. Take these 16 questions. Just simply read through them slowly. As you read through them slowly, I mean, slowly can be you can do this in 15 minutes. So that's not like for an hour gig, all right, 15 minutes. But as you read through them slowly with a colored pen, red, whatever it may be, the one or ones that catch your attention, circle those. And if there's like 10 of them, well, just circle a couple of them, all right? Because they may all catch us. But there are, I guarantee there are going to be certain ones that are going to resonate with you more than the person sitting next to you or the people around you. That being said, that means that that question obviously or questions obviously relates to something that you know needs to be thought through. Spirit of God works in a lot of different ways. That's one of the ways he does. And that is, it's like for me reading scripture, if I'm reading scripture and I have a verse that catches my attention and catches my attention again, my habit in the past has been I need to memorize that verse because there's something about that verse that God wants me to keep thinking about that again. So go through these 16 questions slowly and just, first of all, circle one or two. You know, this is not like do all of them because they're like all guilty. No, pick one or two that really grab your attention. Once you've done that, here's the second thing. Take those one or two questions and give yourself 30 minutes somewhere down the week. Somewhere down the week. And that doesn't have to be 30 minutes at a shot, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. First, first read the scriptures that are at the end of the question. Okay? Don't do the questions first. Read the scriptures first that are at the end of the question See what is being said there that we need to think about related to this question. Then secondly, read the questions and honestly note your answers to the questions. Write down your answers. 
And here's what we're not looking for. We're not looking for the basic, well, this is what we would normally answer in Christian circles. This is how I would answer. This is the blunt Yes, I, I realize when I ask this question, where do you find refuge, safety, comfort, escape, pleasure, security, I can pick one of those and know that I run to this or I want this or I seek this to find that thing. And, and the whole point is we're, we're seeking with God's grace, God's help to do what David prayed to God in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. David wanted that. He invited that. I'm encouraging us this week to invite that same thing with God. Pick one or two, look at the scriptures, write down what God reveals to you, and then when you're done, say, thank you for having shown me that. Now help me to take that out of being my functional God and help me to let you be that functional God in that area of my life. It's a simple step. It's a simple one or two steps, but it's a part of what God intends to do with our life every day. Slow down, think through, and say, God, show me. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the wonderful day we've had of worship and fellowship together. Thank you for the refreshing nature of the songs we sang earlier on our earlier worship hour and just how much we are blessed to be called your child. We have so much in this life, and yet... Lord, we still get duped by the devil himself to think that there are something or things outside of you that will provide the satisfaction, the comfort, the security, the pleasure, the settledness that is not you. Help us, we pray, Father, to see and be willing to see what it is that you reveal so that when you reveal it, we will confess it and not be content with simply confessing it, but by your grace to abandon it. And in abandoning it, we will only abandon it if we put it aside to pursue you. So, Lord, help us by your grace to pursue you. Thank you for this time. I pray for Pastor Ken and Kim as you're away. I pray there'll just be a refreshing time for them. Keep them safe and by your grace, bring them back safely for the Lord's Day. Next Sunday, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.